Welcome to the Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com. Wow, it's really good to see y'all. What a day to get together, Pentecost Sunday, to spend time with the Lord, to spend time with each other online and in this room. And uh, before I, I share the message today, I just want to, again, thank Wendy Johnson for leading us in our time of worship. And I want to bless everybody that's going to be traveling. Like uh, I talked with Peggy Buchanan today. She's already, uh, she said she just retired, right, Peggy? Four days. So she's counting the days, man. And so... Now, others of us are counting the days till we go on vacation, and then we're uh, envious of those that have already gotten to go, right? And so like the meeks and the rushings, others are making trips. So the summer is a time of coming and going. But Lord, I want to pray for everybody that's traveling this summer. Lord, I pray that you would grant to them your protection, your favor, and your blessing. Lord, I pray that every vacation will be a time of refreshment, a time of recreation, a time of fellowship, and a time of renewal. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to go and to do and to celebrate you and to celebrate your creation and to celebrate our families and friends. So we speak blessing on everyone that's traveling. Lord, we're so grateful for what you do in our lives and for you how, how you build in rhythms and seasons and Sabbaths. And so I pray that in the midst of our traveling, in the midst of all that we're doing, that we will encounter you in a fresh way. And Lord, we continue to stand in the gap and pray for every vacation Bible school and for every youth camp and mission trip throughout greater Houston this summer. God, we know that you mark people significantly at vacation Bible school and at youth camps. Lord, we're asking that lives will be transformed, that lives will be sealed that lies, Lord, you'll actually make them, call them into things that you want them to do and be for a lifetime. Father, thank you for our workers in the children's ministries and youth ministry. Thank you for the congregations, how they come around at these special events. And thank you for the mission trips where we get to encounter you and we get to serve Jesus on his mission in the earth together. Thank you for those opportunities. We bless every VBS, every youth camp, and every mission trip in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And we are really privileged. We have Anna Graves, who's with us from Europe. As you know, she's a missionary there serving, and uh, she gets to be here for an extended period as she renews her visa. And so, Anna, it's really great to have you. She sent us an email a while back and said, hey, I want to help out and do some different things, and my staff jumped on that. <laughs> they, they said, oh, goody gumdrops. And so... Uh, that's uh, Southern for really excited. And so they were really, really pleased, and we appreciate Anna's servant heart and her willingness to do that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We are a people who are praying for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit to come individually, corporately, and nationally upon our lives. So we're a people who are praying for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit to come upon us individually, corporately, and nationally. And so, God, on this day, we're reminded again, come, Holy Spirit. Come, have your way. Come, accomplish the will and the purposes of God among us today. We're so grateful, Father, that you have given us your Spirit Thank you 
for you, Father and Son, making your home in us. And thank you, Jesus, that you said you would never leave us orphaned, but that you brought your spirit, you gave your spirit to be in us and with us. What a gift. We worship you, living God, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Pentecost is in the Hebrew Bible an annual festival. It's an annual harvest festival that takes place seven weeks after Passover. And it became an important Christian day for us because uh, seven weeks after Jesus was raised from the dead, the Spirit of God was poured out at Pentecost and God came and granted that to us after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Bible, Leviticus 23, 15 to 21 instructs the Israelites to hold an annual one-day festival, which is seven weeks or 50 days after Passover. You can read about that in Exodus 34, 22. And it included extensive sacrifice. It was also known as the Feast of Weeks, where uh, Israelite farmers would begin to gather their first fruits of the offerings of their crops and bring there to Jerusalem. So, on Pentecost, immediately following the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, God pours out his Holy Spirit upon the believers and upon the city in Jerusalem, enabling them, he enabled his believers to perform extraordinary signs, wonders, and miracles. And God came in such a way with this outpouring of his Spirit that, that thousands of people were birthed into the kingdom of God in one day. And so uh, the Spirit rushes in. The disciples have been uh, waiting for him, and they're in an upper room. Jesus told them to do that in Acts chapter 1 we're about to read about. They waited and tarried there. They didn't know how long it was going to be. It was 10 days. And then there came a mighty rushing wind from heaven, fire from heaven, and it turned the place upside down. And they went out from there and began to be bold witnesses, empowered witnesses, as Jesus told them that they would be. And for the first century Jew, Pentecost was a significant time. Again, we mentioned that it was an agricultural harvest. It was an agricultural celebration. But for the Jew, neither Pentecost nor Passover were simply agricultural festivals. When they celebrated Passover, when they celebrated Pentecost, it was reminding them of the echoes of the Exodus and what God had done for his people from Egypt. It also reminded them of the promises that God had made to Father Abraham by rescuing his people. At Passover time is when the lambs were sacrificed and the Israelites were saved from that avenging angel who slew the firstborn of the Egyptians. And that very night, the Israelites left Egypt, they went through the Red Sea, and they made pilgrimage to Mount Sinai. So 50 days after Passover, they reach Mount Sinai, where Moses receives the law on behalf of the people. In other words, the 50th day isn't just about first fruits. It's about God giving to his redeemed people his way of life that they now want to live into, both in the Old Testament and then with the New Testament outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So let's read. I'm going to make some comments from this passages. We're actually going to spend some time in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. So 
follow along with me in the scriptures. Acts 1.1. By the way, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, also wrote this, uh, the book of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so the book of Acts is actually a continuing story of all that Jesus did and all that Jesus taught. It's called the Acts of the Apostles, but the truth is, when you read the Gospel of Luke and then you read the book of Acts, you go, Jesus is still doing the same works. He's just doing them now through his body, but Jesus is the one that embodies. He's the focus. He's the testimony. He is the purpose of everything that happens in the book of Acts. He has been announced as King and Lord, and he's not some distant memory. He's not left them I mean, he did ascend to the throne of God, but he is now with them by the power of his spirit. He promised, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He said in John 14 that me and my father will come and make our home in you. In John 14, he said, you will never be abandoned or left orphaned. My spirit is coming, the one to be with you. And so this book is not a book of the testimony of what the apostles did It's a testimony of how Jesus continues doing and teaching and manifesting his kingship, his lordship in the nations of the world. And concerning Acts 1-5, Jesus says that John John prophesied back in uh, Matthew chapter 3 verse 11, he said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not even fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so Jesus has told them, he's referencing this. I'm wanting you to wait for this promise. John the Baptist made a promise, made a prophecy, testified that this was coming. And what Jesus did, he didn't plunge his disciples into water, but rather he plunged them into the Holy Spirit. And that was John's promise. By the way, you remember that John had a crisis of faith, didn't he? John was prophesying. I think sometimes, the reason why I'm preaching on Pentecost today and on the Holy Spirit is because we as believers sometimes take for granted the spirit of the living God that is here right now with us. We take it for granted. You see, in the Old Testament, the spirit of God would come on a person for a project or for a time. Now, there were some like Moses Samuel and others that God's spirit abided with them long term, right? But for the most part, the people of God were living and serving God apart from the infilling, indwelling, empowering of the Holy Spirit. And John the Baptist is saying what Moses said, would that all God's people prophesied. He said, 
I, I, there's going to come a time when God is going to pour out his spirit. So he's prophesying about Jesus and said he's going to come and he's going to baptize all of us. Not just John had the spirit, right, from the time he's in the womb. I mean, he leaps and recognizes uh, Mary when she's pregnant with Jesus and recognizes. I mean, it's just, this stuff is amazing. And so John prophesies this, and then John is in prison. He's about to be beheaded, and, and he sends his disciples to say, so are you the one? Are you the one? The one what? The Jesus, are you the one who's going to pour out the Spirit, baptize us, immerse us in the Holy Spirit? And so he was struggling because he had a mental model of what it would look like, and, and he thought it would happen sooner than later, right? And then Luke 4, uh, 18 and 19, Jesus comes to save, heal, deliver, and encourage. I think John's also saying, I need a deliverer to come get me out of this prison, right? Very practical, right? And what did Jesus say? He actually said, the lame walk, the blind see. He tells him, you're seeing all the proofs of the Spirit of God. But he said, blessed are those that are not offended at me. What did he mean by that? You see, Jesus is Lord, and his timing is not always our timing. Amen? His ways are not always our ways. And so, John was right in his prophetic word, and now it happens after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus that this scripture, this prophetic word is going to be revealed and fulfilled. So the people of God, they're actually waiting. They're waiting for Israel to be restored. But Jesus is saying, hey, I'm doing something bigger than just the nation of Israel. I'm doing something that will touch the whole world and the whole world is going to experience his reality and his presence and his power. Calvary, I want to remind you that the word that gave us, God gave us for this year is holy desire. Baptize us with fire. Baptize us with fire. So we're praying. We're people praying that God would baptize us or immerse us with the Holy Spirit's power and with the fiery passion of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I'm really grateful that I don't live the Christian life out of my own strength, my own wisdom, my own capacities. I'm grateful that God, by his spirit, empowers me, enables me, even gives me the mind of Christ. What a journey with a living God, a person that we get connected with. We're put into God's family. We're connected to the King and Lord of the whole universe we're saved by this Jesus, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and we're indwelt, we're filled, we're flooded with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit of the living God. So I want to keep reminding you, Calvary, that we want to be a people who are empowered and passionate about our God. I pray that for each of us. We're praying into that all year long. Verse 6, so when they had met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. The Father is set by his own authority. I'm learning something about mental models. A mental model is like sunglasses that you put on, and you don't even know you have them on. When you put on sunglasses, and you just it changes everything, right? So let's say that you have put on a pink pair of sunglasses, 
everything will be what? Pink. But we don't even recognize that there are perspectives, there are interpretations. We just say, no, this is what's really real. The truth is, our understandings, our mental model of what is real is really what's real to us. And so, it's like the glasses that color everything. It's the filter. We have these mindsets, would be another word, these mindsets that we filter everything through. So, what am I talking about? So, the disciples were puzzled. Jesus had not done things exactly according to their game plan, okay? So, when they signed up to follow Jesus, and, and it was in Galilee for three years, they actually, one of the things they believed, was they were signing up for a Jewish renewal movement. They believed that God had appointed Jesus to be the true king of Israel, and they also believed that God was going to come and work in their lives like he did through King David of old, and that for several years he was actually going to be the king in waiting, and then this ragtag, ragtag group of followers, like, you remember David's mighty men? All these weird people that didn't fit anywhere, they fit with David, right? That's like these apostles, right? They're following this king. They're following David. He is on the throne of David, and they are so excited. There are biblical promises that the Son of Man was going to come, and he was going to renew and restore the Davidic kingdom. And why else would they look at him and say, hey, when you establish your government, let us sit on your right or your left? What does that mean? We want the offices in this Israeli government that you're putting together, right? Now, we read the scriptures now, and we're going, what? What? Jesus is king of the universe. Yes, Israel is favored, his chosen one, and God is going to bring a revival and renewal, and he is going to move in such a way that we can say all of Israel is saved, but they have relationship with God through Jesus Christ because God fulfills his promises to the forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it's not about our earthly kingdom, and our governmental seats in his cabinet, right? It's about us joining with the family of God, the kingdom of God, all the nations of the earth. But I want you to know, they had a mindset, so they had a mental model. And now, think about this. They've been with Jesus for three years, right? And so, what happens when your king, when your Messiah dies, you're disheartened. You're disillusioned, right? Francis Frangipan says you can't be disillusioned unless you had an illusion to begin with, right? So they were disillusioned because the illusion was that he was going to fulfill, and there's no room in their theology, their mindset, for Messiah to die. Okay, so things, things are shaken up. Things are really turned upside down for them. Scripture had promised this kingdom of God, Psalm 72, Psalm 89, Isaiah 40 through 55. Those chapters talk about it. And that God would come. He's going to judge the nations for their wickedness. He was going to come and establish his purposes and restore Israel. And so you might think about this phrase, as they're journeying with Jesus for three years, and then after the resurrection, it's, are we there yet? Are we there yet? 
Are, are you going to do things the way we expect? Are you going to do them in the way that we perceived and we believed? He wasn't the Messiah that they were looking for. Israel wasn't being renewed, and the world was continuing to carry on in its wicked way. The rich and the powerful were oppressing the poor and the needy. It was back to business as usual. So their lives are turned upside down. And then Jesus appears to them after his death, his burial. He is raised from the dead. And you know what they're thinking? They're thinking, okay, plan A did not go like we thought. But is this the time when he's going to restore Israel, restore the kingdom to Israel? We're back on track now, right? He's raised from the dead. So I... This is hard to wrap our minds around, but we all have mindsets, mental models, that it is like trying to plow through cement. Now, you don't see yours as well as I see yours, right? And you don't see mine. I don't see mine as well as you see mine. It's because it's like the water we swim in. And so, Jesus, the Son of God, has been with them for three and a half years. Then, he comes back and teaches them about what? The kingdom of God for how long? 40 days, right? Now that's some intense teaching, right? He actually appears to 500 people, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he teaches them about the kingdom of God, about the rule and reign of God, about his lordship and fulfilling all the scriptures and where God is taking all of human history. And then the first question out of their mouth was, is now the time. The time for what? Well, the renewal of an earthly kingdom of Israel. If it had been me, having a Jewish background, I would have just slapped my forehead and said, oy vey, what, what do I do with you guys, right? But what did Jesus do? He just went on with his plan, right? He just said, Okay, he told them the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to teach you all things. He said, you're not actually ready for everything right now, but he's going to lead you. He's going to teach you. So, verse 8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. One thing that we said around here, Pastor Steve has taught us for a long time, is that a person with an with an experience, beats a person with an argument every single time. And so what God's going to do is not just give us a theology, a theological lesson. He is coming to embody the realities of God in his people and to empower them to be the witnesses that he's called us to be. And so he says, you're going to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit where you will receive power and the stories that we will tell, the reports that we're going to make, we're going to tell people what we've seen, heard, and experienced of Jesus, this risen, ascended, ruling, ruler of the whole universe. So that's what we're going to do. What is the empowering of the Holy Spirit? The empowering of the Holy Spirit is an experience of the presence of the Holy Spirit in direct contact with us as individuals and it affects our lives and actually becomes real to us even 
in our outer person. It's not just an inner experience accepted on faith. There's actually an encounter with the power of God where God becomes real to us. It's not just doctrinal. It's actually experiential. It's an encounter with the Holy Spirit in which the Spirit comes upon a person in such a way that that person gains awareness of the supernatural activity of God and they have more confidence and faith in God. Now, I want you to hear something really clearly. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you're none of his. So I want you to know, as a nine-year-old, when I said yes to Jesus as Lord of my life, the Spirit of Christ came into my life, and this amazing, transcendent, king and ruler of the universe, the creator God and father came and indwelled my life by the spirit. They came and made their home in me when I said yes to Jesus. So any follower of the Lord Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you with you. But there's a difference between the spirit being in you and the spirit coming upon you in power so that you can do what God has asked you to do. Well, what do I need power for? What does God ask me to do? He just wants me to live a good moral life, right? God is more than morality, amen? We are supposed to live a missional life with Jesus. And so if you're gonna fulfill the anointing on Jesus, Jesus said, the Spirit of God anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to open the blind eyes, to encourage the brokenhearted. Jesus comes to save, deliver, to heal, and to encourage, and you're not gonna be able to do that in your power. We need the power of the kingdom of God. By the way, the power of the kingdom of God is not in your pocket. It's in a person, the Holy Spirit of God. And so Jesus says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna release the power of the Holy Spirit. He's gonna come and he's gonna, he's gonna come upon you and you'll receive power and that will make you bold witnesses, empowered witnesses throughout all the earth. This encounter, I wanna testify, can be repeated and it can happen as a process and it can happen in different degrees. There are people in this room that had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that just was like a zap. Or it was just like, it was an experience that just, it was like a nuclear explosion in them. Others have had experiences with the Spirit where it's like a gentle blowing wind. Like in this passage in Acts chapter two, we're gonna read about it in a minute. They're in a room praying and waiting on God and then all of a sudden, a tornado explodes in the room. It's a tornado, a wind from heaven. And then there is fire in the room. By the way, that fire is symbolic. Remember Mount Sinai? There was fire on the mountain when God was there. So fire, a lot of times in Scripture, is, is a part of the epiphany or the revelation of God among his people. And so, by the way, you can't control wind and you can't control fire very well, right? But sometimes he comes and he comes with a gentle voice, right? He comes and he touches people in a process or gently. 
By the way, the scripture tells us to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5. Keep on being filled. And so we're not after a one-time experience where we've arrived and we let everybody know, I've got it, right? We want all of God there is, and I want you to know that is going to take encounter after encounter. Some of them are powerful, they're demonstrative, and some of them are just simply encounters of love or a peace that passes understanding or an impartation or, or whispers. Our God can be God in our lives. This outpouring, this first one, was really significant in power and then he shows up, and it can be repeated, Acts chapter 4, the Holy Spirit is poured out again, Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 10, you just read again, and the Holy Spirit is just showing up and doing things to glorify the Lord Jesus. So the point is, there's going to be many encounters with the living God as we seek to be known by him and to be empowered by him. And so we just want to be grateful, right? We want to bless everything the Lord is doing. And we want to position ourselves for that. What are some of the results of an encounter with the Holy Spirit? You become conscious. You become aware. You become aware that the living person, the Holy Spirit, is actually in you and with you. There's an experiential knowledge maybe of the love of God or the joy of God or the peace of God or the nearness of Jesus. Maybe there's an impartation and release of spiritual gifts that will help us to be effective in witnessing, healing, deliverance, there's different spiritual gifts. There is the fruit of the Spirit, which is working on our characters. We walk with God. There is fruit that's produced and grown. There are gifts of the Spirit named in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, for instance, verses 7 through 11. There are actually nine spiritual gifts listed there. There are other spiritual gifts listed in Ephesians chapter 4, Romans chapter 12. And they are not exhaustive lists. They're descriptive lists. They're, they're saying our God wants to do the kingdom work through us, and we need his gifts to do that. And so may I tell you what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Follow the way of love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. So if your attitude is, I'm just going to sit here, cross my arms, and just wait, I'm ready for whatever God wants to do. That's the wrong attitude, right? We need to be leaning in. We need to be pursuing. We need to be naming and asking and, and, and seeking, right? Luke chapter 11, verse 13, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those that are perfect? Is that what it says? That long pregnant pause concerned me for a minute as I did wonder, to those who ask, right? How much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Actually, when I was growing up, I actually was taught, I actually believed that God couldn't use anybody unless they were perfect, unless they had their act together, and if they had any sin, if they had any immaturity, God couldn't use them. That was a part of what we taught so we could control people, right? We need you to act right so you can't have all God wants if you're not going to act right. The only problem with that is it's wrong, right? God will give his gifts to anybody that asks. Now, when the power of God comes and God begins to move in our lives, 
there are going to be some things. Our character is going to be exposed, right? You've heard the phrase that power corrupts. That's incorrect. Power reveals corruption. We've heard the phrase that absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? Wrong. Absolute power just reveals the absolute corruption that was already there, right? Now, some people want the power of God, and they say, let's not worry about the character. And then other people are doing the works to get the character of God to be the moral people they're supposed to be so they can earn what he wants. And he's going, I give this to new believers. I give my spirit's power. You watch somebody that falls in love with Jesus, they've had an encounter with him, and they get born again or saved, or they come into the, the gift of God in Christ Jesus, and what are they doing? They don't know any better. They're just believing God's word, and they're telling everybody about the love of God, right? New believers are winning people to Christ. They see God do something. They just expect him to deliver them or to encourage them or to touch them. We actually unlearn that as we follow Jesus in most of our churches, right? We go, well, you know, I'm not good enough. I don't know all the ways. I don't know all the wherefores. I don't know enough scripture. So did you hear me clearly? God gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Now, what's your mindset? I had a young man come to me. This was years ago. He came up to the altar and he was saying, hey, I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I knew what he was asking. He was asking for a power encounter with God. Um, and so, you know, it didn't matter to me if he's asking for a one-time experience that makes me arrive and so I've got it, whatever it is, or if he was just asking for a filling. But he said, man, I've got to have God. I've got to have God. I've got to have God. And I am so desperate. I said, that, hey, I bless that. He said, you know, I, I'm gonna die unless God does something. That puts some pressure on the prayer team, right? <laughs> so I said, so how long have you been seeking him like this? Man, two months. Two months I've been going after God like this. And I just thought for a minute, I said, man, I have been doing this longer than you. I've been going months and years, dude. I didn't tell him that. But, you know, the reality is we get impatient, right? I want God now. I want God on my turn. So he says ask, but he's the giver of the good gifts, right? He knows how to give. So I've prayed for people, and they've come up there. They're ready for a zap. They're ready for a new anointing. They're ready to be God's man of power for the hour. And then the Holy Spirit comes, and he settles on them with peace. Can you bless what God is doing? Or do we despise what God is doing, because our mental model is, I expected A and I got B. See what I'm talking about? God help us, right? God help us. So verse nine, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So the ascension, you know, we don't talk about the ascension very much, but did you know that Jesus is the risen embodied man at the hand, right hand of God Almighty right now, and he is ruling and reigning over heaven and earth right now. That's what the ascension's about. Do you know that? And one day he's gonna come in person, and we're gonna get to partner with him in cleaning up this whole mess. But until then, he is working in our lives by his spirit, and we're joining Jesus on his mission with others in our spheres of influence, bringing the kingdom of God 
It's righteousness, peace, and joy. It's goodness, it's mercy, it's healing, it's deliverance. And so God's kingdom is here, but not in its fullness, right? This is not fully here, but we're, we're on duty right now. We're on journey with the king of glory. By the way, if you're bored, if you're bored, I want to introduce you to the real Jesus. It is really hard to get bored when you're trying to stay in step with the king of the universe who is working to transform individuals, families, communities, systems, and nations. That is, I want you to know, you have to work really hard to be bored. Amen? Now, a scarier position is to think, I've arrived. I know all there is of God that there is to know. Those creatures, Pastor Joshua told us a couple of months ago, right? They've got eyes everywhere, under their wings. They're just everywhere. They're full of eyes. And every time they glance at the Father, they're getting a new revelation of God and his beauty. And it overwhelms them, so they go, holy, holy, holy. Then they get up from bowing, holy, holy, holy. And you know, people are, some of us are going, that'd just be boring. All we're going to do is just sit in heaven and we're just going to sing and worship and cry, holy, holy, holy. Do you know what? They're not doing that out of boredom. They're doing that out of mystery and marvel and majesty. They're going, oh, my, 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 my. Oh, oh, you're more beautiful. Oh, oh. They just are going on and on and on. Heaven's not a boring place. And it's not even our final destiny, right? God's going to put heaven and earth together. Right now around the throne, there are explosions of light and sound. There are crowns hitting the silver, glassy sea. There are all sorts of things going on. And people say, I want our worship services to be just like heaven. What's their mental model? Father God, we praise you. Right? If God's service showed up here, right? Can you imagine? You know those smoke machines that got the concerts? Lightning? You know when a thunderstorm rolls in through Houston? I love thunderstorms. And when the lightning hits and you start counting, and before you can count, you hear the thunder, that means it is close, right? And it shakes the glass in your house. Man. We get to give testimony to what we've seen, heard, and experienced of the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus rules and reigns from the Father's right hand right now, and he just zapped up into heaven. He just, he just went, and, and they're just standing there looking up, which is what I would do, right? I would be going, well, what about the earthly kingdom? What about my cabinet position? What? What do I do now? Right? 
I would be doing the same thing. Or I would just be in stunned silence. Just... A man is at the right hand of God forever and ever. The Son of Man. So they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why are you standing here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, he's going to come back in the same way as you've seen him go into heaven. So that woke him up. So it says, they then returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, the son, uh, Judas, the son of James. And they were all joined together in constant prayer along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So... As you read on in Acts chapter 2, verse 15, I'm not going to read the whole passage. There are actually 120 people that are gathered in this upper room. Now, here's the sad thing about this to me. Jesus told 500 of them to wait for me, to tarry. You know what the good news is? God will use whatever we give him. Amen? It's a representation. These 120, I can pour out my spirit and I can turn the earth upside down with 120. Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So that's unity and community, right? They were all together in one place. I love technology that we actually have unity now in multiple places. Isn't that cool? Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. So again, we've got these untamable forces of wind and fire that explode inside a room. Inside a room. There are many encounters with God through the book of Acts. There are times when the Spirit works softly and quietly. There are other times when He works in significant demonstrations of power. There are times when He works in people's lives with no fuss and no muss. And then there's other times when the things are turned upside down. So we need to let God be God. Amen? Now, verse 5, There were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Every nation was represented that day through followers uh, of Israel, there were Jews in the city. Now, not everybody in the whole world was in Jerusalem that day, but representatives of every known nation were there that day. Is God not able to do what he wants to do and give us a sign, the master strategist? In his own subtle way, God is saying to us on the day of Pentecost that the whole world was there in representation. Nothing could have demonstrated more clearly than this. It was multiracial, multinational, multilingual. Ever since the early church fathers and the commentators looked at the blessing of Pentecost, they've thought back to the Tower of Babel. The curse at Babel was we were confused because we were trying to build our own way to God. We were trying to be God without God. And so this confusion came and division came and disunity came. 
And now God is coming to reverse the curse of Babel. In Jerusalem, the language barrier was supernaturally overcome. And it's a sign to the nations that our God can gather, our God can do what he wants to through people. It's prefiguring the great day when a redeemed company drawn from every tongue, tribe, language, and nation in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, gather around the throne. By the way, we should never have arrogance that our race, whatever race you are, is the race. There are going to be people Men, women, boys, and girls from every tongue, tribe, language, and nation around the throne of God. And if we use the Bible to say, and we segment and we support one racial view as better than another, that's a mental model problem. Are you with me? Now, we could have been taught that by our culture, by our parents, our family of origin. I understand that, but we're going to jettison those things to lay hold of the kingdom mindset. Amen? Verse 6, When they heard this sound, a crowd came together and bewildered it, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men speaking? Aren't they all Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the, the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked, hey, what do you think this means? Isn't that a great question? Now, there are two miracles here. Can you see the two miracles? One miracle is that the disciples of Jesus are actually talking. They were given earthly languages, and they are declaring the praises of God. They are testifying to God in a language that was downloaded to them. So that would be like you're speaking Ukrainian, and you'd never had any, any training in Ukrainian. Or you're speaking Chinese and you never had any training. So you're speaking. So one of the things is there was languages given as the Spirit enabled them. Now, by the way, this is different than the 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 2 languages. The prayer language that is given, it's one of the spiritual gifts. Because there, in that prayer language, we're speaking praise to God. Amen? But here, they're actually speaking in a known language, testifying to God testifying to them about God, they're hearing the praises of God in their own language, declaring the wonders in their own tongue. And then, so that's miracle number one, is everybody was speaking a language. Now, wouldn't that be cool? I've longed to learn how to speak Spanish. We had a missionary a few years ago that went to the Ukraine went there to minister, and all of a sudden the Lord downloaded to her. She was in a matter of weeks speaking and singing in Ukrainian. Is that not the coolest? That's amazing. The second miracle is that every person heard them speaking in their own language. So over here, Peter's preaching, let's pick a language. Maybe he's preaching in Chinese. 
people around him and others are hearing them in their own language. So there's a miracle of the gifts. They're speaking in a language, and then people are hearing in their own language, and that's God, God, God. What does this mean? God is here. Amen? So there's the miracle, the disciples speaking in other languages, and there's the miracle, the hearers hearing in their own language. Now, verse 13, look at that with me. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Now, there are different responses to the same experience. Some were amazed and curious, verses 6 and 7, and then some were resistant, mocking, and rejecting. Verse 14, then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. You're asking a question, I'm going to help you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet of Joel, the prophet Joel. So what he begins to do is he begins to explain this to you. Some of you have heard this, this phrase. We should be like St. Francis of Assisi. We should preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Number one, you need to know St. Francis never said that. That's not, that's not what, so if, now, now wait, wait, wait. We want to be moral and missional, right? So if you hear a preacher or a teacher or someone say the opposite of what I just said, you're not going to go, my pastor told me. We don't want to be arrogant or prideful, right? St. Francis didn't say that. Secondly, it's not true. Because you always have to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel because when things happen, it doesn't make sense to people, right? John chapter 6, there's a voice from heaven, and he said, spoke directly to Jesus, and some goes, well, that was thunder. Some goes, that was an angel. Some go, that was God. Well, which was it? Right? So somebody has to tell them, Father, for their sake, you spoke to me. Jesus said that. We need proclamation and we need demonstration, right? We need proclamation and demonstration. So there's going to be opportunities when God's doing some things. We said, here's why this is happening. Here's, what's that, here's what this means, okay? There's always, there's always the proclamation and the demonstration, they go together. So we do good deeds that creates goodwill so we can share good news. That's works go together with our stuff, right? We serve, we humbly obey the Lord in our spheres of influence. But there comes a point where we have to give explanation to what's going on. Like, like I tell people when you're working in our elementary schools and serving the Lord and somebody comes up to you and says, so why are you serving in our elementary school? Why are you working with kids? Why is your church giving all this money? You know what happens to us as believers who've been around this stuff for a long time? We're swimming in it. We go, ah, oh, that's just who we are. Now, is that a clear witness to Jesus? You can't proselytize, you can't evangelize, you can't, you can't tell, but if somebody asks you a question, you can share. What do we need to share? Hey, listen, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves me, and I'm here because he loves this school and loves all y'all. Are you with me? Now, you have to practice that over and over again because what we normally say is, oh, I just like to serve, or I really like working with kids. Well, that, all that's true, but what's the real motive? Would you be there if Jesus wasn't on mission there and calling you to join him there. Are you with me? So why do you pray for our company all the time at work? Why are you serving on these different committees and why are you doing things which other people won't do? 
Uh, I don't know. I just, I like to serve. Well, why do you like to serve? Nobody likes to serve. You like to serve because Jesus transformed your life and now you're a servant of God most high and you're a humble partner with him. And so you say, you know what? Jesus changed my life. I just love being a part of this company and, and the redemptive purposes that God has here. And isn't God good that we get to partner with him for whatever industry that we're in? Isn't that a little bit clearer testimony? But you have to practice. So who are you gonna practice on? Huh? Well, practice on Bubba. Or, or, or practice on Tim, or practice on Tammy, or practice on Carol, right? Right? Hey, the other day, somebody asked me why I was doing this, and I gave a really lame answer. I don't wanna do that again. Can I practice? I'm gonna practice with you so that when they begin to see God's good works and they want to praise God, I'm going to point them to God. Matthew chapter five, verse eleven through uh, Matthew chapter five, verse thirteen through sixteen. You see how this all fits together? I just heard someone's thought was, "Oh, please get this over with." <laughs> well, we're close. That's all I can say. Verse seventeen. We're close. In the last day, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they'll prophesy, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he's going to pour out his spirit on all the generations, the children and teens, the young adults, and the older people. He's going to pour out his spirit on both genders, male and female, and he's going to pour out his spirit regardless of the economic class or the social standing. Isn't that, that is good news, amen? The work of God is incredibly, wonderfully inclusive. There's no category of people which are left out. Both genders, all social classes. It's wonderfully focused on who? All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Once more, the Lord, which meant Joel's God, Yahweh, which is revealed in Jesus himself, this, this, is, this being saved does not just mean I just I, I prayed a prayer, but this means that I am experiencing the Lord. Being saved is not just going to heaven when you die. Being saved is, it's an entry point where now from this day forward, I'm learning to follow Jesus as he's on his mission in the earth, and I get to be a part of the family of God and work out what he's working in me, and I get to do that now for all of eternity. Amen? Pentecost Sunday. That's what this day is. And some of you thought you were just gonna come hear a really powerful sermon. It's better than that. Would you stand with me? We hope you've enjoyed this episode from Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary Community Church, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com.